0: good morning church family great to be with you another day to worship the lord my friends what a great journey it's been as we've been working through second corinthians we're coming to the close of paul's letter today we'll be looking at second corinthians chapter 12 verse, verses 11 to 21 but first let us just go to the lord in prayer as we prepare our hearts and mind to uh, open god's word let's pray Lord, we just thank you for the opportunity to be here as a church family and to look to your word, Lord. Lord, that you have the words of eternal life and that we would look to you day in and day out. Lord, I pray that as we look to Paul's letter to the Corinthians here, 2 Corinthians, that you would guide us by your wisdom, that you give us insight and understanding, that you have a fresh word for us, Lord. I pray that the words of my lips and the meditation of all, our, all of our hearts here present would be acceptable in your sight. Lord, you are our rock and our redeemer. We commit this time to you now. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. My friends, if you haven't already done so, please get your Bibles back out to 2 Corinthians chapter 12. At 2 Corinthians chapter 12, from verse 11 to 21. So we'll be diving right in, looking at verse 11 to 12. Let's do that now. St. Paul says this, I have been a fool. You forced me to it. For I ought to have been commended by you. For I was not at all inferior to these super apostles, even though I am nothing. The signs of a true apostle were performed among you with utmost patience, with signs and wonders and mighty works. So in verse 11, my friends, we see Saint Paul comment on himself being a fool. I have been a fool. So what's he speaking about? Well, in this sense, he's referring to what's been going on over the past few chapters as we've been working through 2 Corinthians. Recall this whole sort of boasting competition that's been going on where Paul has been defending his own ministry against the so-called super apostles, right? But Paul did not boast in his own strength, as we saw through chapter 11 and 12, the beginning of chapter 12, but Paul boasts in his weakness, right? We saw suffering and affliction and trial, and Paul even mentioned a thorn in the flesh. So Paul has played this whole boasting game with the super apostles, except unlike them, again, Paul boasts in his weakness, That the strength of Christ is on display all the more as God sustains Paul through it all. So, as we recall, Paul temporarily adopted this whole boasting strategy of the super apostles and beat them at their own game by boasting in his own weakness, following the Savior and living a life that looks like a cross. My friends, Paul did not preach the pride of self. Paul preached the strength of Jesus Christ that sustained him through all of the suffering, all of the affliction, all of the frailty and weakness. Paul, as a true apostle and as a true Christian man, bore his cross. He held his cross up for all to see that suffering and weakness would be on display that Paul preached Christ crucified and lived the gospel in action. Paul, in fact, boasted in the very weakness that the super apostles accused him of, if you recall. And thus Christ was on display even through Paul's weakness. This resurrection strength at work in Paul's life. And my friends, for us as well, this resurrection strength at work in the true Christian's life, in the way that we endure suffering and weakness like the Apostle Paul. So my friends, like Paul, we sometimes will look like fools in the world's eyes, right? Boasting in weakness. But let us not be discouraged. Let us live and preach Christ crucified boasting in our own weakness when we're forced to, that we would ultimately point others not to the pride of self, but to the heavenly strength of the Savior. So in verse 11, we see Paul say that he was not at all inferior to the super apostles. In this sense, this explains his boasting. And in the second part of verse 11, he says, "'Even though I am nothing.'" And this speaks to Paul's boasting and weakness, in a sense. Paul, of course, as we know, is not lesser than the super-apostles. In fact, he was much more. But he was not more because of anything inherently in himself. No, in himself, he possessed nothing. But in Christ, he possessed everything. As we've seen in 2 Corinthians Paul has Jesus, and thus he has everything. It is Christ who strengthens the true Christian, just like the Apostle Paul. When we realize our weaknesses, being humble in mind, we don't boast of our own strength, nothing in ourselves, but everything from God, everything from Christ. It's Christ who gets the glory, not self not our own egos, right? And in a deep sense, my friends, it's those who, like the super apostles, boast of self, who truly amount to nothing. So as we apply this to our lives then, for the Christian, we being nothing in ourselves, being weak, right? Having weakness, frailty. We yield all that we are to the Lord, relying on his sufficient grace, as we saw last week. In speech and in action, and we would live a life that looks like the cross and the joy-filled glory of the resurrection. In verse 12, we see this. The signs of a true apostle were performed among you with utmost patience, with signs and wonders and mighty works. So we see that it's clear that God has been at work in the church in Corinth, right? The Spirit has been working through the Apostle Paul's life and ministry, and sometimes even in ways that looked foolish in the eyes of the world, in the eyes of secular society. But the validity of Paul's ministry is on display through the power of the Spirit, and Paul is reminding them here of the signs that were performed among them, Wonders and mighty works that the church would not forget in Corinth. Let us not forget the mighty work that God has done in our lives. Maybe we need to write down what He's done that we would not forget it, that we would be able to share our testimony with others, sharing our story, as already mentioned last week, ultimately, that others would be encouraged, glorifying God. But, my friends, All of the works of God in all of it never let us forget the most glorious work of all the most profound miracle our salvation in Christ the miracle of when God brought a dead corpse to life you and me it was his work nothing in ourselves but the work of salvation as fully God. Regeneration and the free gift of faith. It was all him. Eternal life through faith in Christ. Let us not forget this mighty work of God in our lives. Let's look to verse 13 and 14. Paul says this. For in what were you less favored than the rest of the churches, except that I myself did not burden you? Forgive me this wrong. Here, for the third time, I am ready to come to you, and I will not be a burden, for I seek not what is yours, but you. So, back in verse 11, Paul denies that he himself is inferior, and now in verse 13, he denies that his treatment of the Corinthians has been inferior. So, here, Paul is likely answering a critique. Um, that said that Paul acted as if the Corinthians were less favored than the other churches. But my friends, what we see in Paul is that Paul as a true pastor is not giving the Corinthians his second best. No, Paul is giving all of himself to the Corinthians. This is what we see here. He seeks not what is theirs, but them. So Paul did not burden the Corinthian church materially, financially. In fact, Paul provided for himself. And this is one of the things we should look at as we look to this text. Unlike the super apostles who seemed to seek the resources of the Corinthian church, using them for their own selfish gain, Paul did not do that. He provided for himself. He was not like this. And we can even see Paul's sarcasm at the end of verse 13. He says, Except that I myself did not burden you. Forgive me this wrong, right? Forgive me this wrong. Instead, it's the Corinthian church that are the ones needing to seek forgiveness, not Paul. And in all of this, friends, what was true for Paul then still rings true for the Christian today. Even in our most sincere efforts, In our most sincere efforts, sometimes they may be viewed with great suspicion, right? Especially maybe when we're sharing the gospel, telling people about our faith in Christ. But we, like Paul, are called to speak and to act in truth as we follow our Lord Jesus Christ, who is the truth. So, In verse 14, we see Paul's motives. Here for the third time, I am ready to come to you, and I will not be a burden. For I I seek not what is yours, but you. We see Paul's motives here. He's not like the super apostles, right? He will not heap burdens and lay them on the Corinthians. Instead, he will point them to Jesus, the Savior who bore their iniquities and burdens on the cross. Paul will preach this Jesus, this Jesus that saved him until the day that he dies. Paul does not seek the resources of the Corinthian church for himself. He seeks their hearts as a true pastor. That the Corinthians would ultimately have new hearts in a loving personal relationship with Jesus Christ. This is what Paul seeks. So let us not seek the resources of others, friends. Let us instead seek their salvation in Christ. That we would pray for others daily. That they would come to know Jesus. That we would make a list of names who we are praying for. That when the time comes, we would share our story with them with gentleness and respect. That we would serve them sacrificially. That others would see our way of life and ask, who is your master? And that we would be prepared to give a reason for the hope that we have in Christ as we point others to him, that we would seek the heart of another just like the Apostle Paul, not their wallet, not their economic status, not what they can do for me, but sharing what Christ can do for them. Let us truly love others as we're on this mission and as we are vessels for Christ as he gathers his sheep. Continuing on, verse 14 to 15, Paul says this. Her children are not obligated to save up for their parents, but parents for their children. I will most gladly spend and be spent for your souls. So in verse 14, we see Paul use this analogy of the parent-child relationship, right? Of course, Paul is a spiritual father to the Corinthians, And it is he who saves up, who treasures up for his spiritual children. Like a father, Paul would pour himself out for them, right? And in verse 15, we see, I will most gladly spend and be spent for your souls." He would do this gladly. With pleasure, spend and be spent for them. Paul gives of himself, sacrificially, to others because Paul's Lord gave of himself for him the Christian also that the grace of the gospel would overflow in our lives as we've said before because we are connected to the source of living water his name is Jesus let the grace of the gospel overflow in our lives that we Christians would give of ourselves for others and two others, that we would really care for the soul of another, right? That Christ-like sacrificial love that would be rooted at the core of our new hearts in Christ, hearts that overflow with the love of the Savior of the world. Paul does not want their resources for himself. He wants them. He wants their hearts, He wants them to be saved in Jesus Christ through faith. In verse 14 to 15, don't we see the Father's love here? The logic of the cross taking root in our Christian lives as we freely give of ourselves to others because Jesus has given of himself to us. I will most gladly spend and be spent For your souls. Jesus has done this for us. Now we possess an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and kept in heaven for all of us who are united to Christ by faith. This heavenly treasure, housed in earthen vessels, right? He gave of Himself. Paul follows Christ in this way. The forgiveness of all of our sin. The penalty for our sin paid for in full by Jesus on the cross, on our behalf. The perfect life that he lived for us gladly. He gave of himself. For the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross as our substitute. The judgment that we deserved, the wrath of God, he took. Our sin laid on him as he died the death that we deserved. And by his wounds, we have been healed. Never forget this gospel. Never forget the mighty work that God has done. Jesus paid it all for us, so let us be spent for others. He rose victoriously from the grave. Death has been defeated, friends. And by faith alone, his perfect righteousness is credited to our account. He gave of himself forgiveness and eternal life Gained through faith in him. Jesus, our Savior, gladly spent of himself for our souls to secure our salvation. What a great Savior. And nothing can separate us from his love. Nothing. Because we have assurance in Jesus Christ. The payment has been made. We were bought with a price. And he will finish what he started in us. So Paul follows this Jesus in his conduct and his care for his flock. Care for the soul of another. Truly loving his neighbor as his self. Let us do the same, church. Spend and be spent for others. Let's continue with verse 15 to 18. Continuing in verse 15, Paul says, if I love you more... Am I to be loved less? But granting that I myself did not burden you, I was crafty, you say, and got the better of you by deceit. Did I take advantage of you through any of those whom I sent to you? I urged Titus to go and sent the brother with him. Did Titus take advantage of you? Did we not act in the same spirit? Did we not take the same steps? Continuing in verse 15, we see that despite Paul's abundant love, right, For the Corinthians, the Corinthians in some sense love him less. This is what he says here, what he questions. Corinthians were so used to the super apostles, as the super apostles requested financial support that they ultimately used for their own gain, that when Paul did not accept financial support for himself, they became suspicious. And on the other hand, this also seems to relate to what the Corinthians thought about the collection for the Christians in Jerusalem that we saw a few chapters back. They, they thought Paul was being deceitful in some sense, right? He, he's not asking for, for money for himself and yet taking up this collection. So, so what's going on, right? They think he's being deceitful and crafty, but he is not. Instead, he is giving of himself to others and calling the Corinthians to do the same. The logic of the cross, to be spent for others, that we call each other to do the same. And so in verses 17 and 18, Paul continues to defend his true gospel ministry and that of his colleagues. Paul, Titus, and the unnamed brother, they all act in the same spirit. There's a unity between them, of course, as they're being guided by the third person of the Trinity. And as they walk on the narrow path with the light of Christ directing their steps, everything that they do is in truth. And all of this, friends we see that in the true gospel, Christ comes to us and does not use us for his good, but loves us for our good. This is what he does. And Paul follows Christ in this way. So we apply this to our lives then. To exploit others is to lay down their lives for our own benefit, like the super apostle. But to truly love others is to lay down our lives for their benefit. Christ laid down his life for our benefit. Thus, all true gospel ministers and all true Christians must serve accordingly. Again, friends, that we would live lives that look like the cross, with arms stretched out in love like the eternal embrace of the Savior. And so we see That the super-apostles are not simply theologically questionable or selfish or prideful, but their whole mode of quote-unquote ministry denies the self-sacrificial love of the gospel. And thus it's not valid. But Paul's ministry is because he follows Christ and preaches Christ crucified, living the gospel in action. Let's look to verse 19. Have you been thinking all along that we have been defending ourselves to you. It is in the sight of God that we have been speaking in Christ and all for your upbuilding, beloved. As we've seen before, Paul appeals to this reality that he lives his life in the sight of God, in the presence of God, before the face of God, in word and in deed. Paul's words are consistent with the eternal word of God himself, Christ Jesus. Think of it now, friends. The God of creation knows you, loves you in Jesus, and you live your whole Christian life in his presence. What a glorious truth. I think we too often forget. We're never alone. I implore you, friends, to practice consciously living in his presence through unceasing prayer, through the reading of God's word, always keeping that eternal perspective that we spoke about before. This is what Paul does. Before the face of God that he lives his life, and he's speaking in Christ. So Paul touches on his relationship with God here a little bit in verse 19. The deepest and truest audience before this whole drama between Paul and the Corinthians unfolds is God himself, right? God is the ultimate judge as we live our lives before him. God is the judge, and in Jesus we are pardoned. In Christ, there's no more separation between God and man. We have a heavenly brother. His name is Jesus. So we, like Paul, living our lives before the face of God, speaking in Christ if we're united to him by faith, we, like Paul, are confident in the judge's verdict when it comes to our souls because we have an advocate. Christ himself, as we're justified by faith in him, not just in ourselves, but declared just in union with Christ by faith. Verse 19 literally reads this, Before God, in Christ, we speak. Paul is in Christ as he defends himself before God to the Corinthians making a defense of his ministry. And thus, Paul is not guilty because he is in Christ. The believer is not guilty because they are in Christ. By faith, believe in him and be saved. Eternity awaits. All all that Paul has done, as we've seen so far, the comforting and the rebuking, what feels good and what feels bad, all of this has been for the upbuilding of the Corinthian church, at the end of verse 19, for the true believers, the beloved. So, my friends, let us focus on doing that which builds others up as well, elevating them and imploring them to live with that eternal perspective, with eyes looking up fixed on the heavens where their Savior is seated. Let us do that as well. Let's look to verse 20 and 21 now. Paul says this, For I fear that perhaps when I come, I may find you not as I wish, and that you may find me not as you wish, that perhaps there may be quarreling, jealousy, anger, hostility, slander, gossip, conceit, and disorder, I fear that when I come again, my God may humble me before you and I may have to mourn over many of those who sinned earlier and have not repented of the impurity, sexual immorality, and sensuality that they have practiced. It's clear that Paul spoke the truth and he was quite aware of the ramifications as you see in verse 20. And yet, Paul does not back down. He truly loves the Corinthian church. He loves them, seeks them, and gives of himself to them. And so when he comes to them in truth, there may be some who are still unrepentant, who haven't turned to Christ, who are living sinful lifestyles, right? And Paul may have to rebuke them and discipline them, so he warns them as they're not living with that eternal perspective in Christ. At verse 21, we know that Paul's fatherly ties with the Corinthian church were quite strong, of course. And he knew that if he returned to find some of them still unruly, that it would be humiliating for him, in a sense, right? As a father, a spiritual father to them, that Paul would have to mourn over rebellious. So those who are still engaged in unrepentant sin paul warns them because paul is calling them to life change right to turn to the lord jesus christ and be saved that repentance that leads to new life in christ he points them to the narrow path that leads to life and at the end of verse 21 we see some specific sins impurity sexual immorality and sensuality. My friends, let us just allow the Spirit to convict us when it comes to these things. In some way, I'm sure we've all struggled. Maybe that's lustful thoughts, disordered desires, pornography, fornication, and pure motives, or sexual acts outside of marriage. But my friends, let us not be like the unrepentant, church in Corinth, let us instead feel that godly grief, that contrition, and turn to the Savior in repentance. And know, friends, that if anyone is struggling in these ways, know that you can reach out to your pastors and others in the church, that prayer and accountability would be a focus as these sins are put to death by the Holy Spirit in the Christian life. Jesus calls us to this sexual wholeness, marriage between husband and wife, a beautiful reality. And know, my friends, that any of these sins that one may struggle with, these sins of the old self, these sins of the old man, this is no longer where our identity lies. Through faith, we are now in Christ, united to him, forgiven fully for all of our sins. Be assured of this truth. New creations in him. So let us put these old sins to death by the Spirit, as Paul is calling the Corinthian church to, that we would fully rely on the mighty work of God, the Holy Spirit, grace and through assurance that we know in Christ, God will continue to sanctify us as we are being transformed into his image from one degree of glory to another. Remember, friends, it was while we were still sinners that Christ died for us. God demonstrating his love for us. Jesus Christ spent of himself for our souls. And now we rest Assured in his loving arms. Never forget that. Luther said this, looking at the great exchange. I'll quote him here. Who can even begin to appreciate what this royal marriage means? Who can comprehend the riches of his glorious grace? Christ, the rich and divine bridegroom marries this poor, wicked prostitute, redeems her from all of her evil, and adorns her with all of his goodness. It is now impossible for her sins to destroy her, for they are laid on Christ and swallowed up by him. She has her righteousness in Christ, her husband, which she can now boast is her very own, She can set this righteousness over against all of her sins. And in the face of death and hell, she can say with confidence, If I have sinned, nevertheless, the one in whom I trust, my Christ, has not sinned. And through our marriage, all that is his is mine, and all that is mine is his. This is the great exchange. This is the gospel. Even in our weakness, Jesus has spent of himself for us, for our souls. Likewise, Paul has spent of himself for the Corinthians. So let us, church, spend of ourselves for others, caring for their souls as we walk in repentant faith, speaking and living in Christ in the sight of God. What a glorious Savior. We have. Let's pray. Lord, we come before you. We thank you for what you've done for us in the gospel. And that you call us to this Christ-like sacrificial love. That we would love God and love our neighbors. Truly. Fully. Lord, we thank you for the gift of living in your presence. And the gift of repentance. Lord, And our secure salvation in Christ. And faith. You've made us new. Work in your church, Lord. Use us as vessels as we bring this gospel to people that need it the most. With gentleness. Always prepared the reason for the hope that's within us lead us this day that we would follow you with sacrificial love we lift this time up to you now in Jesus name we pray amen